Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane. I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, boys? Good morning, boys. Uh, I mean, how good is it to be together after Webb just runs the table on the back nine and <laughs> <laughs> makes six straight birdies on one of the hardest golf courses in the world? Oh, so Thank good. Thank you, Ben. Low round of the day, baby. It's Let's awesome. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, who was who was yeah. a better player in the world yesterday than you, Webb? On that back nine, I mean, it just <laughs> happened from everywhere. Oh, I mean, tell tell us about it. It had to feel so good to just, I mean, start rattling off birdies. Other guys are just dropping, you know, so many bogeys. But your back nine was elite. Thank you, buddy. It it was fun. You know, um, I got a great caddy. He gave me a little pep talk on the way to ten. See, I pumped one out of bounds on nine, made double. And, you know, if you're in 65th out of about 70 players on Sunday at the turn, it's tough to find, you know, that kind of adrenaline motivation to, to stay intense for the back. But, you know, we just went with a, a little different thought and started hitting some better shots. And the ball is going where I was looking. And, you know, Polly's dialing me in with some good reads and the ball is going in. And, you know, that uh, walking off nine green. I wanted to go straight to the locker room and just catch our earlier flight home. But then walking <laughs> off 18, you're having so much fun. You want to go back. Let's to keep this going. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. The emotions tell of us. golf are just crazy. Gosh. Tell us about um, – it looked like you almost birded 18 too. Yeah, so 18 was kind of funny because I hit three wood in round one and it got all the way up in the neck. And it just went forever. And yesterday we didn't have that same win. We had kind of left to right. But that three-wood made me a little nervous, so I hit it again, and it was the wrong club. Everybody hit driver. And I healed it, so I'm back there. I got, like, 210 oh, hole. No. <laughs> With that back right pin, 210, and it's like there's nowhere to hit it. I like, there's oh, nowhere to hit it. it. So What are you hitting? Four iron, well, five iron? The, the worst part is I'm on a downslope in the fairway, and I'm already uh, a low-spin, long-iron player. So Polly goes, buddy, it's whatever, 98 and cover. rocks. Yeah, right. what was there, like seven yards there to, to land the ball, and then it's in the back bunker, and that's dead. It's in the back bunker, and it's dead. And <laughs> he goes, buddy, I pulled out four-iron hybrid, and he goes, buddy, why aren't you hitting five? It's only whatever, 198 cover. I said, buddy, this is going to come out head high off this lie, and it's going to 100% go over. <laughs> so he said, he goes, well, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, I think the only shot, I just got to hit a big banana slice, like slice yeah. up the green. So he goes, he looks at me, he's kind of smart. He goes, well, I love it. If you're confident, I love it. (laughs) Like he loved it. Yeah. So I I just aimed like 50 feet left, hit a little. With what club? Foreign or? Foreign hybrid. Wow. And it was fun. When I get excited, I sometimes talk to the ball in there. So as soon as I hit it, I go, Polly, is that any good? I mean, is that good, Polly? And uh, it landed right there. After six straight birdies. Hey, Paulie, watch this one. Put your eye on this one for me. So how far does it go? It went to like 16 feet behind the hole in the fringe. Hey. Literally like the perfect golf shot. <laughs> hey, the listeners may not know this, but there is no player on the PGA Tour better than the big slice than Webb Simpson. <laughs> hey, true story. We can be on the driving range. There will be a green – 120 yards away, Webb can hit a cut driver and keep land it on the green and keep it on the green. There's you know, no way. He it's does, kind of my pride, buddy. I've if, seen him do it a hundred yeah. times. No, Paulie will tell I, you. Paulie will tell need you. this on video. Hey, the player. Hey, the players' these. championship range is the perfect place to do it. We'll we'll get Paulie to okay. video one. Yeah, and we need it. We're gonna post it on Bible County. I need to see Lula. this. A hundred yard, a hundred twenty yard or less shot with uh, a driver. Full swing. Yep. <laughs> What's perfect about Sawgrass is they have the 17th green range. I mean, 17th green on the range. And so last year it was like 120, let's say. And I started, I got in this little rhythm of these like little chip slice drivers. <laughs> and it would land on the left side at 30 feet of spin to the right pin. Hey, it says no one on planet Earth. I got this great rhythm of these chip slice drivers. <laughs> Um, okay the other thing that's worth mentioning today fellas is that it is ben crane's 48th birthday happy birthday ben oh it's 47 
Yeah, 47. Dang it. I was literally thinking you're chasing Bernard Longer so fast. Oh, oh buddy. I, trust me. I've never wanted this older in my life. When you're 18, you want to be 21. When you're 47, you want to be 50. Gosh. Yes. Uh, I really thought it was 48. Dadgummit. I mean, here's the deal. If you played against Bernard right now, though, I mean, you're hitting sand wedge. He's hitting five iron. True? Yeah, but let's just be honest. He's hitting five iron to nine feet on the proper side of the hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like, if, if someone said you got it, you, you want to play a longer for a million dollars, I'd be like, oh, I don't think so. Happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, birthday, man. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Any birthday plans? I do actually have birthday plans. I'm uh, uh, going out to dinner with um, my wife set up a dinner with William and another friend and we're uh um going to a restaurant we all love so yeah um, love that heather made some plans for us so uh i just found out about it and pretty excited to go hang with um with our wives that's so fun i love that all right well we had some action at bay hill i feel like we've been having action every single week um as you guys know i picked kurt kitayama so <laughs> yeah, he, <did. laughs> he was trending. Oh gosh, I wish I'd picked him. Um, oh, funny. Weber, you did have the right call on Tyrrell Hatton, and oh, let's boy. just be honest—he could have easily won the golf tournament. He, he could have. He's greenside and two on twelve makes bogey, and then he bogeys thirteen, and then he bogeys seventeen and eighteen. So, but he played a great golf tournament. Which yep. means that's a hundred bucks to a charity of your choice. So where is it going awesome. to Weber? All right, we're going to go to a charity uh, that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, my wife and a couple friends had the privilege of starting a school about five years ago. The school is called Calvary, uh, Calvary Christian Academy, and it's where four of my five kids go to school. But it's a Christ-centered school um, where they're learning all the classical education subjects, uh, but also they're getting a Christ-centered. Uh, education through all the subjects. And so it's been really cool to see what started as an idea kind of play out into uh, a reality of about a hundred kids K through seventh or K through eighth grade. Um, And, you know, it's, it's been a joy to see it grow from 30 kids the first year to now uh, up to a hundred. So I didn't like school growing up. My kids love school and they're learning about Jesus every day. Uh, So that will be where, uh, you guys can see the donation. That's awesome. awesome. Your your wife has been a beast getting that thing set up and running. There's <laughs> need, no doubt. <laughs> need this blessing that many kids. So we'd love Thank to give you. that. Awesome. Yeah. He's a very good ball striker. And I don't think any bad ball strikers ever won around Bay Hill. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I felt good about it. And you think about that, that's, I mean, Tiger Woods, greatest iron player of all time. That's why he's won Bay Hill so many times. You have to right. hit really quality iron shots there. And then speaking of horses for courses, uh, you love the Players' Championship. I love the Players' Championship. Um, yeah. why, why do you love it there? Um, any highlights from your from your victory there? Um, yeah, you got to be excited to be going back, especially after coming in hot after um, a great finish at Bay Hill. Yeah, I, I've, I love players – even my rookie year when I missed the cut, William and I missed the cut by a few. Uh, I got in last minute. Uh, somebody withdrew, and I got in at like 2 o'clock Thursday afternoon. But I just <clears> – what I love about it is I feel like every day somebody could shoot seven under and somebody could shoot seven over. I feel like it's that dicey of a golf course where if you're on, you're going to make birdies. If you're a little off, it's really tough. Um, yeah, so great memories there. Uh, I think it's arguably – you know, right up there with the most exciting finishes in golf with 16, very reachable par five, the famous 17th, which may be the most famous hole in the world. I mean, that seven at Pebble comes to mind, 12 at Augusta. And then 18s, to me, one of the great par fours in the game because if you want it, like Ricky, the year he won, he's hitting this hammer 320-yard driver down there. And to the listeners, if you hit a cut, which most guys hit a cut these days with driver, they're starting it over the water. So if you don't cut it enough, it's a retee. Yeah. I don't hit driver. I'm not that confident. But if you nick nick the toe, hit a little cut, 
on the 18th tee Sawgrass. No bueno. <laughs> Hand me another ball, sir. Yeah. Um, and it's not like right. About- it's not like right is good. No. <laughs> no. If you bail right, a, you might hit your second in the water. The yeah. Right. And then the pitch out's hard. Ben, I mean, what did you do? You had four top tens there in your career. What, yeah. did, what did you think? What did you do well to finish top ten that many times at such a tough golf course? And, I mean, what's important there? Man, I, 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 there's nothing that's obviously not important there. I feel like that course exposes, um, you know, anything. Um, but I, I certainly you have to drive it in play. If you drive it yep. in play, you don't have to be the longest player. I think that's why one of the reasons why I've been successful is I put it in play. And, um, you know, you have to play conservative to the greens where because if you miss greens there and you get short sided, you are making bogey and, you know, or more. And so I just feel like truly hitting the ball effectively off the tee and then where you can get your next ball on the green or in a good spot where you can get it up and down where you're not short sided um, because you're going to make putts there. The greens are incredible. Yeah. Um, and you can and you could funnel some balls toward the hole. So, yep. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a uh, drive it in play, play conservative with your irons golf course is uh, and, and it's exciting. You, I mean, like, you know, talk about 18, you have to hit a great shot, you know, unless, right. you, unless you're making five, you know, you have to right. hit a good shot on 17, um, you know, 16, you're going to have to, you know, hit a really quality second shot. So. It just yep. really makes you um, play quality golf and exposes when you don't, which I love. That's what we love as players is when um, it rewards good play and penalizes um, poor play. Exactly. In 2018, to make your point, Ben, Webb was last in driving distance when he won in record margin. Just fascinating wow. stat. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, that's right to Ben's point. Yeah, yeah you got to hit him play. And so, Webb, you've got course record there. You got thirty-six hole record there. Um, you, <laughs> you know, tell us a little bit about twenty eighteen. That was obviously a big comeback win for you. Just give us a little peek behind the curtain for what made that so special. Yeah. So going into twenty eighteen, my previous win was the fall of thirteen. So it's been four and a half years, and wow. you know, you you kind of cycled back into that first win mentality in the sense of like, man, am I going to win again? Um, but I came off a solid week at Wells Fargo here in Charlotte the week before. I think I finished maybe 18th. But I was really confident. Like every part of my game, I seemed to be knowing wh- what I was doing. Um, so I start out first round with just a good solid morning round, six under. Um, didn't, you know, didn't think too much of it, didn't get too excited, just really confident and excited to you know, have a good start. And then Friday was one of those, I feel like once in a career round where – you don't realize anything's happening to special until about 11 or 12. Um, I birdied 11, 12, and then 13, I made like a 30-footer. And I was playing with my boy Tyrrell Hatton, by the way. I remember. You know you were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Paul tells me this bit of info after the round, how much fun it was with Tyrrell. Because when I made it on 13, Tyrrell just started laughing, kind of looking at Paul. And then go to 14 – and I got like this 30 foot slider and Polly told me that Tyrrell came over and Tyrrell told Polly, he goes, there's zero chance this ball is missing. And Polly goes, he ain't making this one, Tyrrell. We're playing it three feet out. And it goes right in the middle. And Tyrrell just looks at Paul again and starts laughing. <laughs> so, hey, and didn't 15, you make it from off the green on 15? On 15, I made it from off the green. And Tyrrell walks over to me and he goes, can you hold my putter? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, and, and he was serious. He wanted me to just hold his putter. And so I held it. <laughs> so then, so then, all right, so I'm 10 under and we're walking down 16 and it's late in the day. And um, some fan yells out. And the course hey, record Webb. is nine under. Right. So some fan yells out, hey, Webb, make Eagle and you got a chance for 59. And Paulie was like, in his head, he's like, man, that drunk guy, like, what is he talking about? And But Pauly started adding it up. And then Pauly realized, man, if we birdie this hole, we're 11 under. Um, the guy's actually then, like an MIT mathematician, not drunk exactly. at all. <laughs> <laughs> so then the only bummer was 17. Um, I tried to hammer a sand wedge and got out in front of it a little bit, hitting the water made double. But um, good part on 18. And then, you know, it was a special day, kind of set me up for – 
the weekend. You shot the course record with a ball in the water on 17. With a double. Yeah, made double. That's and incredible. Then, then uh, Saturday was a tough day, dry. You know, this was the last year that it was in May, so it was always firm, fast, windy. And Saturday was a was a good solid day, and then Sunday was hard. I mean, Sunday Tigers six under early, guys are firing you know up the leaderboard, but I just kind of managed. And um, you're starting the round you know, with a seven shot lead, right? Seven shot lead, which is a very strange place because I don't tee off till two fifty. I have all day, um, and seven is like four. Somebody could catch you within five holes, but seven is like man. You know, you got to screw this one up. And so you're battling all those things, trying to stay in your lane, trying to stay aggressive. Trying not um, to think about golf before the round. I exactly. Mean, brutal. Exactly. Brutal. Um, and I had a good start. Part of the first six holes, birdied seven. But then I bogeyed eight and ten and had a long walk to 11T. And Danny and Lee was kind of playing nice, right? Danny Lee's playing nice. And we got a long wait on 11. They had just teed off. So I'm like, all right. Polly looks at me, he goes, Webb, he goes, we got eight holes left. You're playing great. You're swinging great. Like, just focus on this hole. Let's get this ball in the fairway. We're going to go one shot at a time, like hyper-focus. And great birdie on 11 to kind of calm myself down. And then once I kind of was cruising with a few pars, I knew if I hit it on the green on 17, tournament's over. And Polly had already walked the yardage that morning. I'd hit that exact shot a few times that morning. And I hit it, and in the air, I'm like, man, this is perfect. It just landed 10 yards on the green in the middle of the green. And that was it. That's so fun. Love it. That's awesome, buddy. Love so, watching that golf tournament. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to picks for the week. Players' Championship. I, I'm guessing it's the biggest purse in golf history. Is that right, Webb? Yeah, 25 mil. Biggest purse PGA Tour history this week. Who are you picking? You guys go first. All right, Webb, then Ben, then me. I got my All pick. Right. You already got yours. Yep. You want All me right. to go? I'll go. Yeah. I got Webb Simpson. Let's go. I love <laughs> I love that six in a row. I just <laughs> I I got my boy this week. Come on, buddy. Yep. All right, I'll go I'll go Ben's Ben's uh Ben's buddy, Victor Hoblin. It's a very, very solid pick. Um I'm gonna go with your boy Terrell. <laughs> Which has been Terrell. not a. It's it's ter, it's Terrell Zatorius. That's who that's who you got. Terrell Zatorius. How do you say it? Terrell. Terrell. I'll go with Terrell. Terrell Love, it. Love it. All right. Um, well, let's let's jump into uh, kind of the content portion this week. We're going to recap where we've been in the podcast, and then let the listeners in on where we're headed. In an effort for us to get to know Jesus better, we started this podcast in the fall by asking, what was Jesus like? What did he do? That was that was what we called season one. And then just before Christmas, we asked, how did Jesus come into the world? That was our little season two, our little short season. And then over the last eight weeks, we've been asking, what did Jesus teach? And where we're headed from here is in the coming weeks and months, we're going to ask, what did Jesus claim? And then why did Jesus die? And then did he really rise? And then finally, we're going to ask, what does that mean for us? Where do we go from here? So mm-hmm. our goal has been to look at Jesus from a number of different angles to really understand who he is and what he's done and what that means for us today. But instead of us moving really quickly into our next season, we thought it would be good to slow down and recap what Jesus has taught and discuss what this looks like in our own lives lived out. So that's our goal today, to get practical, to share stories about how Jesus is teaching uh, is working its way out and ought to work its way out into our own lives. So um, the last eight weeks, we've looked at eight different parables, the treasure hidden in the field, the prodigal son, Pharisee and the tax collector, wise and foolish builders, the shameless prayer, the good Samaritan, the unforgiving servant, and then finally last week, the parable of the talents. Um, so to you guys, which parable from Jesus have you guys thought most about over the last few weeks and why? Mm. my favorite parable is the one that i've thought about the most uh the prodigal son um you know i loved hearing from ben thinking through the lens of the older brother 
um, you know, Ben shared some awesome gold about how he experienced that, that the book by Tim Keller for the first time and kind of realizing, man, like I can resonate with the older brother a lot. And I think we, we all can resonate with either brother or both. Um, but the hero of that story is neither brother, but the father and, um, just high level, like what I love about it, what's been encouraging to me is despite the son, the younger son's um, just wishing his father dead. And despite the older brother's bitterness and um, self-righteousness, Jesus, his invitation was to both and was fully and freely to both. Um, and like, if, if I go to Webb Simpson flesh default mode, it's easy for me to start thinking, okay, I got to... I got to do these things to earn favor with God, even though I know that's not true. But when I'm living by the spirit of God, by the word of God, with the Holy Spirit's help, I realize that God, the father is just exactly as Jesus described in that story. And so um, I just thought it's an amazing story. It's an amazing audience. William, how you bring our attention to, okay, who's there? What's the original purpose? Context matters. Um, So all that comes together in that story for me. And man, I feel like I could get wisdom from it, thinking about it from a few different angles. Yeah. Let's, let's stay there for a minute. And Ben, you mentioned how that parable has had a pretty profound impact on your life. And you talked about, I think being at the PGA championship one year, let us, let us behind the curtain a little bit there for what you saw in this parable and the impact it's had on your heart. Yeah, I, I um, was, given this book, it's like amazing how, um, I was given this book by one of the rules officials, um, at a tournament and I just felt like I was reading all the good stuff. And so I walked out of the scoring trailer and I handed the book to my caddy, Joel. And I'm like, Hey, um, my buddy gave, you know, gave me this, you know, and read it if you want, whatever he reads it. And two days later, he hands it back to me. He's like, um, I actually, <laughs> I think you need to read this. <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> perfect. Right. So I, I read the book and, and, and the book's called I, prodigal guy by Tim Keller. If, if yeah. the listener wasn't tracking. And uh, so I, I read the book and I realized that the story, I thought the story was so much just about how, you know, God was so gracious to the younger son and, and it is, but there's so much more to the story when I, when Tim Keller so um, thoroughly explains that the older brother is the one who's doing the same thing, trying to get, um, you know, God's stuff um, through his way of life. And I realized that, oh my gosh, like I am living my life so much like an older brother, trying to live dutifully, trying to pray, trying to be a good Christian um, to earn what I wanted from God, which was really good golf. And mm-hmm. when God exposed that um, in my life, I literally fell um, down and just wept and just told God, I, I can't believe. And, and, and the story, Tim Keller talks about the older brothers being so much more likely not to see their sin than a younger brother who goes off and squanders everything in wild living. And I was in danger of thinking I was doing it right. Um, but God graciously through that book showed me that I was so far from God. And so I literally wept and said, God, that you would show this to me and that you would forgive me of this is grace upon grace Mm -hmm. and help me to know you, to help me to really know you and to know you deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And and it just, it literally changed my life. Mm. Love that. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's, there's some similarities between the parable of the prodigal son. And then the next parable we looked at, which was the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Right. In mm-hmm. in the same way that Pharisee is trying to earn his way to God by the good things that he does or by the bad things he avoids. He thinks his per- his performance is going to earn God's favor. Whereas right. this tax collector who's like a, you know, he would have been just like a slimy traitor to his peers. He appeals to God for his mercy. And in that parable, mm-hmm. Jesus says it's the tax collector and not the Pharisee that went down to his house justified, which is just a mm-hmm. big word that means right with God. Um, Webb, that's that. Like immediately he was saved. 
Yes. Right. In that, in, in that moment. And it's just like such a clear depiction of how we're saved and right with God. And our, when we come humbly before God and we trust in him and not our yep. own works, we're right. Now we've become right with God. And it's just literally that, that's my, that was my favorite takeaway. William was hearing some of your, um, thoughts on Pharisee and tax collector that really, really helped me and encouraged me. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Webb, that story reminds me of your testimony. When you share your testimony, you talk about how growing up, you kind of did a lot of the right things and you suddenly put your hope in all the different things that you did. Um, Right. Tell us a little bit more about that, like how you viewed God, why you thought you were right with God, and then tell us what changed and what you came to understand the gospel really is. Yeah. Yeah. So in a nutshell, high school and college were very similar when it came to the Christian things I was involved with, whether it's Bible study, FCA in college, it was athletes in action. Um, I would go to church on every Sunday, even in college by myself. And I think without knowing how to articulate it with words in my heart and mind, I probably believed that being a Christian involved going to all these Christian things. And I was a Christian because I was in a Bible study. I was a Christian because I went to church. Um, But I think all that time, all I was doing was accumulating knowledge in my head, which knowledge isn't bad. It's just, it wasn't affecting my heart. It wasn't changing me from within. And kind of rock bottom for me in terms of before I was saved, um, Dowd, who's my wife now, girlfriend at the time of three years, she breaks up with me. And then the next couple of weeks, I'm pretty low and I'm confused. And I'm wondering, man, why can just a relationship affect me this much? So I took all that confusion, all those questions to our good friend, Dave Owen, pastor in Raleigh, and just kind of share with him my heart. And I went into the meeting thinking, man, I know all the answers to the questions he's going to ask me. I've been in Bible studies my whole life. Like, I'm going to knock it out of the park. And guys, I walked out and I questioned whether or not I was a a Christian. And not in a way of I don't want to be a Christian, more of like I was scared in a good way of like, I don't know if I am a Christian. And what I mean by that is when when Dave and I looked at the New Testament, we looked at people's encounters with Jesus. If they started following Jesus, if they believed in him for their salvation, like their lives were different. Their desires changed. They followed him. They, The things they used to care so much about that are of this world, they didn't care as much about. They cared what he cared about. And I look back at my life and I realize I've never had that change. I've never felt conviction over sin. I've never had a desire to repent. I've never wanted to change. I've never actually wanted to honor God with my life. Sure. I'll go to Bible study because I think that's what Christians are supposed to do. And church on Sunday morning, that's where Christians are supposed to be. Um, But yeah, up until that point, William, it was creating a great Christian resume, for lack of a better phrase. But I realized in that moment, okay, God, I don't think I'm a Christian, but I want to be. And I know it's not that hard. I know in your scriptures, you say, like, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, trust in the justification, the full payment of our sin, trust in Jesus, like trust that and start walking with God. Jesus doesn't tell the guys, his disciples to go figure out all these things and then come follow him. He says, no, just come follow me. And so it was that senior of college where I went from kind of being like the older brother and creating this resume and good works and trusting in my own performance and my church attendance and my Bible study attendance to I'm going to trust in Jesus. All my eggs are going to that basket. I'm all in. I'm going to follow him and honor him and, and guess what? I still went to Bible study in church, but like we've said on this podcast before, it was not out of duty. It was out of delight. Mm. Well said. Yeah. So you saw at some point, my good works don't do it. Jesus has to do it for me. You know, he's got yeah. to atone for my sins with his perfect death in my place. And, and just like the Pharisees, it's just amazing news. And we want you to be sure of this if you're listening as soon as you believe in that, just like it happened for Webb senior year of college or just like it happened to this tax collector, as soon as you put your trust in Christ alone, you're made right with God instantaneously. Yeah. Um, that's the good news. Hey, of William, I love the quote you share often from Whitfield about works 
Will you share that? Yeah. So in his, in his last sermon, George Whitfield, who was kind of the lead, leading preacher in the first Great Awakening, mid-1700s in America, in his last sermon, standing on top of a little stage in Massachusetts, he yells out, works, works. You think you can get to heaven by works? You've got a better chance of climbing to the moon on a rope made out of sand. That's so good. <laughs> That's a great word picture. Whenever yeah. we feel proud of whatever we're doing in our life or proud that we're working for God, like, like we got to remember, like, yes, that's a good thing, but like, it, it's all for God's glory, not our own glory. And we're not earning anything with God. Yeah. Okay. But I love how you made the transition web. When you became a Christian, you didn't stop doing these other things. The motivation yeah. to do them simply changed. And that's kind of the mm-hmm. flow we saw. We started with the treasure uh, of the kingdom. We saw the value of the kingdom. And then we saw the heart of God. And then we saw how to be made right with God. And then in these last five weeks, we've turned our attention to kind of the ethic of the kingdom, how we should live under God's rule. And the first parable Mm -hmm. we looked at was the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And we saw that if we hear Jesus's words and do them, we're like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. But if we hear his words and don't do them, we're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Um, It's not going to go well for us. How have you guys seen that prove true in your life? So Ben, talk about just life in the word and how have you seen building your life on the word prove true, pay off? Yeah, it's amazing that the more, you know, one of the quotes that you've you've said, William, is the more that you treat God like he's real, the more you realize he is. And Hmm. it's, you know, the, this parable of the wise and foolish builders and, um, you know, building your life on the rock and, um, you know, it's really, for me, it's, it, it starts daily with, with that quiet time in the morning where I, you know, I wake up and, and spend time in the word and I'm really looking intently um, into the instruction of what Jesus is saying through his word. And so the, it's just amazing. The more I apply the word to my life, the more I look at my life and the world around me and my family and golf um, and relationships through a biblical lens, the more there's peace and joy. And it's just literally, um, it's the way life works best is to build your life on the rock. And so I just think practically it really, um, it, it's amazing to me that, that I pray more now. Um, I ask more questions of my friends now. I, you know, right. There's like these fruits of the spirit that come, not because, of, um, you know, something great I'm doing. It's just the one I have my faith in. So it's, it's just the greatest joy is, and the way life works best, um, is building our, our life on the rock. Yeah. Well said. And Weber, if, if you were going to give a quick piece of advice to a listener who maybe has been listening to the podcast and they think, dude, I'd like to read the Bible, but I don't really know where to start and I don't know really what to do how would you encourage them to get going? Yeah, that's a great question. I think ideally um, someone would read the Bible with someone who's a little further along in their faith, because there's going to be tons of questions. I think at every daily reading or at every chapter you come to, there's going to be questions or thoughts. And I think the best way to read the Bible is with someone else or even with, you know, a trusted uh, with a trusted commentary, you know, commentary to the listeners is just a more in-depth look at what's actually, actually going on in the text. And for example, like the book Ben talked about the prodigal God, Tim Keller takes the prodigal son's story and he draws it out into a book. And he, Tim Keller is filling in details that the average reader might not pick up on. And so it, it's the same with the commentary. It just brings context to the situation, helps the reader understand more of what's going on. But I would say ideally, read it with someone who's a little bit further along in their faith. Um, If you don't have that at this point, uh, we have a good God who will provide for you. Open to Matthew, open to John, Luke, open to a gospel, ask God, pray a simple prayer. God, give me eyes to see what you want me to see. Give me wisdom to understand. Holy Spirit, guide me through this. Um, And William and Ben, I think it's fair to say that all three of us could say this about the word of God. One, before I say this, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. 
And so if we're truly following after Jesus, our love for Jesus will show in who our allegiance is to. And it's a matter of, are we trusting him? Are we obeying him? Um, Again, to be clear, we're not obeying to earn favor. We're obeying because he has asked us to command us to, and by the way, it's good for us and what's best for us. And we're not going to be perfect at it. Of course we're not. But the other thing is, I think we can all agree, we've never obeyed the word of God and regretted it after. Mm. Right? So like true. We, there's been moments, and probably daily, where we're in a situation where we don't want to do what God's asking us or we're tempted to sin, and we don't by his help, and we've never regretted that. And I think that's just great evidence and great um, inspiration for us to stay in the word as much as possible because, man, I want to I be all about something that when I do it, I don't regret it, you know? Yeah. Amen. And I, I think that, you know, the Bible, you know, there's so much great, so many great claims and scriptures about what the word actually is. It's, it, and, you know, it's, it's sharper than a two edged sword um, in our lives. Um, it's useful in teaching, rebuking and training us up in righteousness, all these things. And when we apply it to our life, it, it always works. And there was a time, um, some of you, if you're old enough, might have seen it on TV when um, I was playing in the Booz Allen Open. Oh, gosh. You know, it's so funny. I've got this on my notes to come to later. This is great. <laughs> it's so, I, you had no clue really? I was coming to this. Are you talking about the Rory <laughs> wow. Sabatini story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Save it for the forgiveness section because I think okay. it's going to like really apply. It applies on the word in general, but it's going to apply on that forgiveness section in particular. And I just thought it like illustrated that point so helpfully. So, um, I, I love that you wanted to go there. Dude, that's sick. Um, all right. So we from the word, uh, the parable that Jesus told about building your life on the word, we then looked next at that shameless prayer in Luke chapter 11. You remember the guy who, who prays with impudence? He goes to his neighbor's house late at night. Um, and we saw what the Lord wants for us in our prayer life. He wants us to ask and seek and knock. And so what stood out? to you guys from that parable, how has that parable influenced your own prayer life? Because that, that parable is so um, amazing to me because it, it really helped me see like um, Jesus has died for my, also for this sin of mine of unbelief. Mm. You know, sometimes I, I, I come to the word in the morning and I'm just like defeated i got i want to get to my day and start doing other things and it's like and i'm like lord i need you right now to mm-hmm. help me to you know i want to abide in you but I, but i but do i really want to like I'm, I'm i'm so torn in these different directions and so um that parable um of shameless prayer showed me like confess that right um and and web said in that podcast um you reminded us of that great verse that um, if we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive mm-hmm. us. You know, like yep. if we just bring, if we, it's just like, there's so many amazing things that happen when we confess our sin to God. Um, and he, he really is um, faithful and just to forgive us. And he really does cleanse us of all unrighteousness and he yep. really restores us into himself. And he really fills us with his spirit and he really gives us joy after we do it. So, um, yeah. I love, I love that, that parable. I'm so glad we went through that one. That's good. Yep. Okay. And then we went from there to two kind of difficult parables, frankly, the parable of the good Samaritan and the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in the parable of the good Samaritan, we saw that we're under obligation to love all people. Everyone mm-hmm. is our neighbor. And mm-hmm. that can be a really difficult thing to do. And then in that parable of the unforgiving servant, we saw that because we've been forgiven so great a debt, we are under obligation to forgive in the same way we've been forgiven. Mm. Um, so in the Good Samaritan parable, we've been loved greatly. We're under obligation to love. In the Unforgiving Servant parable, we've been forgiven greatly. We're under obligation to forgive. So, Webb, why don't you, before Ben gets into his Sabatini story, mm-hmm. why don't you just remind us how great the love is that God has loved us with and how... Um, how vast the forgiveness is that he's, you know, he's canceled a great debt. So just remind us. Yes, of that he good has. News. Yes. Oh man. 
I mean, I think the Good Samaritan shows us a number of things, but the the one thing that I kind of think about right now, as you ask, is the sacrifice of what uh, the love of Christ looks like. And so it wasn't just like a one time he came to earth and, you know, sacrificed himself on the cross. It was a lifetime devoted to obeying God perfectly for us. He never sinned. His whole life was a life of purpose and a life of perfection. And then on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God. And so it wasn't just the physical pain that he endured that's unimaginable, but to be separated from his father and to endure sinners' wrath that we deserve, he took it upon himself. Um, That love is more sacrificial than anything in the history of this world. Um, And so as soon as we go to a place of, like, does Jesus love me? We just have to remind ourselves of Calvary. He loves us so much to the point where he didn't have to leave heaven. He didn't have to come to earth. And he certainly didn't have to take on the wrath of God, but he did it willingly. And he did it because he wanted to. Is that, that verse, um, what's the verse, William, about the joy set before him? He endured the cross. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Right. And so it was a joy for Jesus to go through that unimaginable pain for us, for people, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when I think about my life and what God has rescued me from and what he's rescued me to, um, I'm overwhelmed that I, who have nothing to offer him, he loved me so much that he did that for me. Um, and not just for me, but whoever wants to have a relationship with him, whoever is tired of a life uh, of just going and going and going and trying and trying and trying. And who wants a life of peace? Um, and Jesus offers that. And he doesn't just offer a life of peace, but he offers eternal life, forgiveness of sins once and for all. Um, and so his grace and his mercy are new every morning and they are full and they're forever. Mm. Amen. And for those of us who've received that, we've been forgiven so great a debt, like an yep. infinite debt against God. Um and so the proper response is then to go and love like he's loved us and to go and forgive like he's forgiven us. And so, Ben, now tell your Rory Sabatini story, because that was an example of you being able to exercise forgiveness in real time when the rubber was really meeting the road, not just in theory, mm. but actually. So let us in on that story. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's not only that, but it's also what we're talking about, just um, the word has this great effect on us. And the reason why this happened. And the reason why um, I'll, I'll tell the story um, is that you, we're a Booz Allen open congressional um, final round get paired with Roy Sabatini. I'm a deliberate slow player. Roy's a very fast player. Um, we're both in the top 10, in the tournament. And I've kind of got the waggles going, you know, where I get up over the ball and I'm, and I'm like, I want to hit it, but I don't quite hit it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like waggle the club a little longer. Like, oh man, I went through the waggles. Um, and uh, so we're probably on the, I think we're on the 14th hole, and our group's starting to get behind. Uh, by the time we get to 15, um, Rules Fisher comes out after we hit our tee shots, and we're walking up and says, "Hey, you guys are on the clock now." Now the rule is they would have just put me on the clock, um, but back then um, the rules were it's just if your group's out of position. Um, your group's on the clock. So Rory gets upset and he just hits his shot and starts walking ahead. And I'm like, okay, you know, should I wait for him or, or what? You know, so, so anyway, he ends up like just playing on ahead and I'm playing. And now I didn't know, but, you know, the, the crane cams and the helicopter, I don't know what, what they're using or whatever. They've got like the where's Waldo, like where's Rory, where's Ben? <laughs> you know, like he's way ahead and I'm, I'm behind and um so he's so, like he's like literally on the green when you're hitting approach shots, right? Yeah. He's way yeah, ahead. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, fifteen, he's on the green while I'm, you know, have just hit my second shot. He puts out, goes to the next tee, you know, tees off, whatever. Anyway, by the time we get to the seventeenth hole, um, he's like dropping behind the green, you know, and I'm in the fairway like you know, um, about the hit. And at the time, the last hole was a par three um, over water. So anyway, um, 
it, it's this whole thing. We're both on national television. I'm playing well. He's playing. He's probably in tenth place. I'm probably in fifth place at the time, and the media is all over it because this has never happened before. I mean, they're absolutely all over it. We get to the last tee box. It's a wait on the last hole, and um, my caddy says, uh, "Hey, Roy, um, who's waiting on the last hole? You mind if we join you for the last?" <laughs> <laughs> so the whole, the whole, um, you know, um, crowd is totally picked up on what's going on. So as I'm walking to the, you know, as we're both walking up to the green, as Roy gets there, they, they're you know, frustrated, they're booing and whatever. And I get there, they're cheering. I'm like, oh my gosh, so weird. Um, and anyway, we both got long putts. I, I think I go first. I got like a four or five, 45 footer. I make it. Oh. <laughs> and to finish like, I don't know, third or fourth, whatever. He two putts and we finish, we walk off. I haven't even signed my scorecard yet. And Judy Rankin, um, the Dottie Pepper for the time, um, Walks up, puts a microphone down, goes, Ben, tell us, like, what the heck was that? What happened? And I don't really know what to think. And then Drew's like, hey, I've got Ben. I've got Ben. Like, you know, like, and so there's all of a sudden there's like 20 seconds, whatever, where I'm just kind of like waiting for her to interview me. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to say. Mm. And I just kind of throw up this breath prayer, like, Lord, I don't know what to say. And for every day of the month at the time I was reading that day of Proverbs and it was, um, I just read the 15th proverb and Proverbs 51 says a gentle answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up anger. Mm. And so she says, Ben, tell us about what that was. That must've been so distracting, you know, whatever. And I just said, Judy, let's face it. I'm a slow player. Roy's a fast player. I don't blame him. He's frustrated. We got on the clock because of me not because of him. Wow. And, and I can completely understand, you know, why he would be frustrated. She just like, she just like goes like, she's like stumped. She doesn't know what to say. (laughs) You know, like she wanted some dirt. She did. She wanted drama. She wanted the good stuff. And you gave her the good stuff. A gentle answer, a soft word turns away wrath. It's like, boom, gone. Yeah. Like, it's just like the, the, the word, you know, comes true. And literally I get to the locker room and I look at my phone and it's Rory. And he goes, Hey man, I'm sorry. And I go, buddy, I'm sorry. Like, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. I got us on the clock, you know, whatever. And we were fine. But it's just like, wow. wow. God's word. And, uh, little tiny bit of obedience you know when you don't don't know what to say the, the spirit will give you what to say and it's just like i can't believe how it just diffused the whole situation i love that's that story. amazing that's, that's a great story it really is i love that you made the 45 footer that's just fun <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um okay and then finally last week we looked at the parable of the talents and um we saw that the Lord, he's gone away after his death and resurrection, and he's entrusted to each of us time, talent, and treasure to steward for his glory. And one day he's mm-hmm. coming back, and we're going to be held accountable for how we manage what he gave us. And so I, I loved hearing both of y'all share about how you steward that time, talent, and, re, and your resources last week. Um, because we're kind of going long, let's let's start to tie a bow. Um, of all the parables we've looked at in this series what which one's been the most challenging for you and why i think the one that's been most challenging to me is the shameless prayer i think how it how it spoke to me that week what i learned is and and what i was convicted of is i will pray about things yes and most certainly but how persistent am i how much am i going back to god like you said ben every morning and I think part of the beauty of that parable is God doesn't want us just to ask one time. I think it de- he delights in hearing from us over and over. It's like, wouldn't it be weird if I told you I love my wife, but we never speak? Mm-hmm. Like, if we love God, we are going to talk to him. We're going to hear from him through his word. 
We're going to pray. We're going to ask. He is our good father um, who delights to help us, who delights to have a life with us. And so that that parable challenged me to think through, okay, I want to be more consistent with my prayers. I want to continue to ask God and beg God, whether it's something my kids are going through or my wife's going through or I'm going through personally or an area I want to grow in. Like I want to keep knocking on that door, um, asking God for help. Love it. How would yeah, you been for me? For me, I would really say certainly um, the story of the prodigal son, um, and just being reminded that we're not made right with God by anything that we've done or can do. We're you know we're made right with God because the Father is full of grace and mercy. Um, mm-hmm. And the and the Pharisee and tax collector kind of really brought that home. Um, that, that you know that the uh, tax collector goes home to his house justified by mm-hmm. putting his faith in Christ, not in himself in any way. Uh, and certainly then the, the, the shameless prayer, um, like, like Webb said, you know, just being reminded um, that Jesus has died for my unbelief and that for my doubts. And I can really even bring that to him and confess that to him. And then I want to respond to one thing um, as well as that we we're talking about, like, how do you, you know, encourage the listeners to read their Bibles and, and to get into the word and one of the ways is 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 to just maybe grab one of these podcasts skip through the beginning notes you know and just look at these parables um mm-hmm. and and read slowly and imaginatively as william says um because there's so much here and there's something that can be taken um you know for your own life it's just meant um for you in such an encouraging way when you look closely and intently into the word of god Yes. And and just so you know, our hope is not that you would become dependent on this podcast to, for your spiritual diet. We want you to become somebody who gets into the word yourself, you know, and Mm -hmm. loves to do that. And then secondly, we want you to be a person who's really involved in a local church that takes these words really seriously. And then we just want this to be a supplement to all of that. So, um, all right, fellas, it's been a longer episode. uh, As we recap, any final thoughts on these parables? Uh, or on this teaching of Jesus before we sign off. No, loved it. Can't wait for the next series. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. As always, the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus or reading the Bible or any of this stuff, you can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at biblecaddy. We've actually coming with some new content uh, in this last week and we'll have more coming as we go forward. And we're, we're taking a break next week. And then we'll be back in two weeks looking at the claims of Jesus. What did Jesus claim? And so until then, let's get into the Word and let the Word get into us. Oh, oh, oh.